0: Welcome to the Mission Gathering Thornton message cast. This week, a look at Hebrews 11:29 through40 and thoughts on a healthier and more biblical definition of success. Trying to do that today. Um, so thinking back, um, when I was in high school, my dad was really into running, and he really wanted me to be into running, because he was, he was a pretty good runner back in the day. He ran uh, the Boston Marathon like three times or four times, which is kind of like the, the big, that's the big accomplishment in, in distance running, is to run the Boston Marathon. So he was a pretty good runner back in the day, and he wanted me to be a pretty good runner, except I wasn't really that into running, uh, but that didn't stop him. Uh, so as my freshman year of high school, uh, he signed me up for cross country, even though I went didn't go to a high school that offered cross-country. Uh, say I went to a school called Maranatha Christian, which uh, doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. So he signed me up to run cross-country with Wheat Ridge High School, who had a pretty good, and I think still does have a pretty good cross-country team. Um, so, you know, I would I would, I would, would go to practice. He'd pick me up from my, my school, and then we'd drive over to Wheat Ridge, and he'd drop me off, and I'd run, and I'd participate. And, you know, I'd, I'd do all the practice stuff, but I didn't really do uh, any of the extra stuff that, You know, to be a good runner, especially in high school, you you know, you run on your weekends, you run during the summer, and I didn't didn't really want to do that. I was kind of lazy back in the day. Um, so you know, my dad was really into trying to convince me to do what it took to be a good runner. Um so despite my despite my attitude. So I I remember this one uh, race we ran, uh, Megan, I don't know if you remember this, it's called the Liberty Bell Meet. It was at Heritage High School in Littleton. If anyone knows where Heritage High School was or is, and uh, the way that the meet started, if if you can imagine it, we started off running down the street um, south. I think it was. So we started down the street, and then it kind of took a sharp left, and then came right back. So it was kind of like an out and back up this trail. So essentially, you know, if you're at the, if you're if you're uh, oh, what do they call it? You know, if you're an uh, observer. Uh, staying at the start line, watching everybody run, you could you could cheer cheer your your runner on at the start line, and then just cross over the street and you'd be there as they came back up the trail. So you know I'm at the start line as the meet gets ready to go. You know the gun goes off and I'm just you know getting in my pace, feeling the feeling the race and trying to you know there's always a crowd of people at the beginning of the race. You're trying to just make space, get your get your pace up. You know I'm running down the street and. uh Get around to the get around to the first to that first curve, run and come back. And I'm coming back, you know, trying to get into my pace, trying to get my race pace. I see my dad, uh, see my dad, on the side of the of the trail there, you know, cheering me on. And he's, I wore this today because this is basically what my dad was wearing. He's wearing a polo shirt, jeans, and some kind of running shoes like this, uh, some kind of athletic shoes like these. So you know, I'm I'm jogging down the street. Running down the path, coming up, with my dad. And my dad's like, "Hey, come on, Lord, pick it up, pick it up. You can do it." You know, uh, just just going all out. And uh, the thing is, uh, he was cheering for me uh, so much so, but he he expected you know some more out of me. So I'm getting I'm getting close to him. You know, running down, getting close to him, and he just again wearing basically what I'm wearing now. He just takes off. He takes off in front of me. So like, if you can imagine, you know, I'm running here. You know, and he's out in front of me, basically running in front of me. And, and he's not just in front of me, running in front of me. He's literally like uh, 20, 20 feet, 20 yards, something like that, in front of me. And about every, every 15, 20 seconds, he's yelling back, come on, Lord, pick it up. Come on, Lord, pick it up. And we're just doing this for two miles, just back and forth. And he's like, come on, Lord, you can do it. Pick it up. And literally for two miles, down around this course, on Heritage, he's just, you know, I'm running. And my dad just up there ahead of me, come on, Lord, pick it up, pick up the pace, you can do it, and just this whole, you know, the whole thing, and, and you know, I'm I'm a sophomore in high school, and I just, you know, I was a good church kid, and I was, you know, I, I didn't cuss back then, uh, but I wish I could have cussed him out. So finally, you know, after after two miles, I think it was, because it was probably about a mile or at least three quarters of a mile that he got, he jumped into the course, and finally I like got... Near the end of the race, I finally passed him as he's yelling at me, and, and uh, I didn't want to look at him again. After that, for a long time, if you can imagine, you know, I was pretty mad at him. Um, so he, you know, he wanted me to be a good runner, and he, you know, I guess you could say he wanted me, oh, I gotta catch my breath after that, man, whew, too much running. I, I am in shape, believe it or not, but not for pretend jogging in church shape. You know, he wanted me, you know, like all parents, he wanted me to be successful in life, if you can imagine that. You know, we, you know I'm a parent now, and I, a lot of us here are parents, or, you know, we know kids in our lives, and we want, we want our kids to be successful in life, right? Um, I was thinking about this because I was thinking about, uh, I was talking to Vanessa this morning. Vanessa was whining about, well, I won't give her age, uh, younger than me. she's whining about being younger than me. I was like, August 8th was my 37th birthday. I hate saying it. I hate saying it. Uh, I was at this, I was at this, uh, I joined this networking group a while back. And uh, one one guy is like an insurance agent. The other guy does life insurance. And I'm like, why don't you give me quotes? So they gave me quotes. I'm like, oh, shoot. I just, I gave you. So so I gave them both my, obviously, my birthday date. And that the next group was on my birthday. I'm like. You guys do not keep your mouths shut. I do not want to hear anything. And Sure enough, they did not keep their mouths shut. Um, but so, I don't know, for whatever reason, since I turned 30, like every year, it's like my next birthday. I'm just like, oh, another birthday. Here we go. And it's like that, that kind of inevitable march towards 40. And uh, apologies to all the folks over 40 here. Apologies. Uh, but I remember back in high school, I think it was Karina's brother and one of our friends, like made this pact. Um, they made this pact that when they're 40, they're gonna need a car and drive over a cliff. So apologies to those over 40 here, but uh, you know, you know, back in the day when we were young and we thought, oh, life ends at 40, right? Boy, thankfully I'm I'm hoping it doesn't, right? Um, but I, you know, in many ways, my birthday is like a, an opportunity for me to think back and reflect on the past year of my life and think about, you know, what have I, what have I done uh, with my life, (laughs) in a way, and, um, you know, as I, as I edge closer and closer to that, that, that uh, magic number, if you will, of four zero, you know, I think back about what I've done for the past years of my life, you know, back when I was 18, I went to Bible college to change the world, I mean, that's, that's like all we talk about that. Back then, changing the world, saving souls, saving the world. Uh, you know, in my early 20s, those vague and imprecise goals began to, f- to harden into the fashion into something a little bit more definable. So I wanted to earn my master's degree by the time I was 30. I wanted to get a doctorate by the time I was 40. I wanted to be a, per- a successful religious professional. Hey, buddy. And uh, I, good news is I'm actually sort of on pace with these goals. I, I got uh, my master's before I turned 31. So that's something. Um, but I need to kick it into gear if I'm going to get a doctorate by the time I'm 40. And I mean, who knows if I'm a uh, successful religious professional, right? But I think, as I think, one of the reasons that I. I went towards these clear and definable goals because I could, I could look at myself and say, hey, I have a master's degree. I'm successful. But more so, I think others could look at me and say, oh, Lauren has a master's degree. He's successful. I mean, we all want to be successful in life, right? We all want uh, to be looked at as successful. Yet, as I look back over the years, years, and would you believe this year will be 20 years Ugh, 20 years since I graduated high school. It's easy for me to look back and say, what have I really accomplished in life? Am I successful? Now, I'd bet, or at least I'd hope, but I'm not the only one who's asked myself that question. I mean, we do live in a results-oriented society where we're constantly being evaluated based on what we've accomplished, what we've done, what we've completed. And, And, you know... That's kind of how we measure success in society. Like we, we evaluate coaches based on their win-loss record. We evaluate teachers based on their students' test scores. We evaluate business leaders based on how much money their, their company, uh, how their sales, or how much how well their the stocks in their company um, performed. But even beyond the professional sphere, I think we all compete with each other in life to have the perfect family, the perfect relationships, the perfect kids. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of... Failing on that, <laughs> and I think uh, I was hearing this the other day too. In many ways, like we use social media now to to kind of like fill in for what we're insecure about. So like if we're insecure about like our family, we post pictures of ourselves on Facebook and Instagram of like us like hanging out with our kids. You know, maybe if we're insecure about how we look, we're always posting pictures of ourselves on Instagram. I know, I know that's what I do, right, Tom? Yeah. But more so, I think, another way we do it to kind of cover up our, our feelings of insecurity or lack of successfulness is uh, we, get, we, get, we get lots of stuff. I mean, we want all the stuff. Because stuff is like a metric in our society for how successful we are in life. Like, if we have the car, the nice car, if we have the house, if the big house, if we have a great wardrobe, then, then clearly we're successful. And if we don't have the nice car, uh, if we don't have the nice house, if we don't have a nice wardrobe, then I guess we're not that successful. And if you're like me, we find ourselves more often than not mindlessly pursuing these things. You know, money, status, stuff. Because again, having these things, at least according to some people, means that we are successful in life. And like I said, the inverse of this is also true. If we don't have the house, if we don't have the stuff, if we don't have the car, we're not successful. And if we don't, you know, if we're not making great salary at work, uh, if our kids aren't at the top of their class... If the car we have isn't top of the line, then it often can feel like we are not a successful person. I don't know if, if, you, I don't know if you're like me that uh, in a quiet moment, when you look back over your past years, when you think about the big dreams you had, the big goals you had for yourself, if you wonder, where are these, these 5, where are these 10, where have these 20 years even gone? As in, I'm I'm this much older, I've worked this hard for so many years, my kids are growing up, and what do I even have to show for it? My business is still struggling, I'm still driving that same old car, you know, whatever. What do I have to show for these past years of my life? Am I even a success in life? I think it's a question we can all find ourselves asking at times. So today we're finishing up our series called Action Required, and we're looking at the ways that God asks us to live and act in our world. So last week we were looking at Hebrews chapter 11, which Hebrews chapter 11 is a, a book in the, in the Bible that was written called Hebrews, and it's written to some, a group of Jesus followers. And the, and the 11th chapter of the book is what's known as commonly called the, the, the chapter of faith or the hall of faith, and it recounts famous uh, people of faith throughout the years, so from where we last uh, left off last week, it was a chapter again highlighting folks like Abraham and Joseph and Moses and countless other figures, some named, some unnamed, um, of these you know heroes of the faith. So um, it's a bit of a dense read this morning. So um, if you'd like to follow along with me, you can. I will also have it on the screen, but we're going to try to to make our way through it. But we're going to start in Hebrews chapter eleven, verse thirty-two, and we're going to read some more about these heroes of faith. Let's see here if I can find it. I like reading it from the, from the text still. So in verse 32 says, Then what more should I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword... One, strength that a weakness became mighty in a war, put foreign armies to fight, to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, and tormented. Kind of rough, huh? Verse 38 says, And at whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. But what does it say in verse 39? Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better so they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Let's carry on to verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. If you have it, in like in your Bible, in many Bibles, it says the heading of the chapter will say the example of Jesus. It says, therefore, and when I was growing up in church, I remember pastors constantly saying, you have to look what the therefore is therefore, right? It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so uh, clings to us so easily, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, The pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down, uh, has taken a seat, that's how I remember learning it, has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 12. Now, again, uh, if if we grew up in church, there's probably some names in here we recognize, like uh, Abraham, David, Samuel. But there's also some references to people uh, we really don't know of, because uh, they're not named, right? Now, for those who who first read this when it was first written, they probably recognize uh, who these unnamed characters were. The widow of the repheth, something like that, uh, was probably the, the the widow whose Elijah, whose son Elijah healed. Uh, people think that the the reference to the person being cut in two, they think that was uh, Isaiah the prophet. And the revolutionary leaders talked about was most likely uh, the Maccabees. If you remember the term Maccabees, uh, back in Israel's history, the nation of Israel's history, these group of revolutionary, uh, revolutionary leaders called the Maccabees. And if you, if you grew up uh, with a Catholic Bible, they have these different, they have a little bit, it's a little thicker Bible if you've seen a Catholic Bible. It's a little thicker. They have these books in there. Among them are the book of Maccabees, which described these revolutionary uh, leaders back in the day of Israel. But for all these great leaders of faith, it's what's said in verse 39 that stands out to me. It says, yet all of these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Hmm. Many were stoned to death, killed by the sword, sawed in two, tortured flogged, mocked, and imprisoned, wandered in deserts and mountains. Not a, not a very highly sought after life, right? Not very pleasant. For all of the accomplishments of some, there were just as many who at least by current standards were failures. Failures. You know, we, if we grew up in church, we learned about, like I said, David... And Samuel and Solomon, you know, big heroes of the faith. But it recorded in our Bible, there are just as many people who we look at today and say they were failures. Countless biblical prophets who tried to tell people to change their ways. Yet despite their repeated actions, sacrifices, and efforts, they were judging by modern standards failures. Unless we, unless we think that these were alone, these unnamed characters, minor characters we would never heard of, were the only failures in the Bible. I mean, we need not look farther than perhaps by modern standards the biggest failure of all. Jesus. At least to those in his time, right? Jesus was a failure. He was expected by many to lead a revolution and establish a new kingdom. On the cross, he was derided as being the king of the Jews because they expected him to be the new king. Yet this so-called king of the Jews was tortured, brutalized, crucified. The most painful, the most humiliating death that the Romans could conceive of. For only the worst of the worst I mean, even at his death, if you remember, the soldiers there were mocking him, saying, hey, if you really are king of the Jews, save yourself. But you're not. You're a failure. What does the Bible say? Looking unto Jesus, what we just read. Looking unto Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, what? Right? Did we read that right? The man who was derided as a failure, the one who was crucified as a criminal, is now honored by God. Why? 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 At least according to the author of Hebrews, because of his faithfulness. Because of his faithfulness. You know, we've got to stop thinking of success as results, accomplishments, and acquisitions. And instead, start thinking of success, or at least success as in the eyes of God, as faithfulness, perseverance, dedication. Faithfulness, Perseverance. Dedication. This is what God asks of us. Not results. Not accomplishments. Not status. But faithfulness. Perseverance. And dedication. All these figures recounted in Hebrews chapter 11. Were considered successful by God. Not because of what they accomplished. But because of their faithfulness. This is all God asks of us. To be faithful to the person God asks you to be, to keep going, to keep following the path the path God has for you, to be who God made you to be, to run the race that is in front of you, to run your race. You know, in, in distance running, coaches and, and uh, trainers will often talk about running your race, running your pace. So it's, it's easy when you get immense, uh, you know, the crowd, especially at the start line, to get, to get really excited, to get energized. And you just take off running, running these, you know, 8-minute miles or 7-minute miles or 6-minute milers. And just take off with them. And, and what, what turns out, because most people, if you don't train at running an 8-minute mile or a 7-minute mile or a 6-minute mile, you're going to find yourself, yeah, you can keep up with them for so long, but eventually you're going to tire out, you're going to wear out, and you're going to be dying by the end of the race. So They say, don't worry about what those other people are running. Run your race. It's the same way when we chase after success. Sure, we might achieve money and success and power, status and wealth and stuff. But these things, they come at a cost. Just like running the race, when we take off pursuing those faster times, trying to keep up with the Joneses, we're gonna find ourselves worn out and tired, and out of gas when we need it. You know, it, it comes at a cost to try to try to keep up with the expectations of others. You know, I was talking to a talking to a pastor this week of a of a bigger church out in Broomfield, and he's he's telling me about uh, he's been he's been at that church for about ten or fifteen years, and. He said over those 10 or 15 years, he's kept track of every new church that's come up, you know, uh, in the north part of the city. And he's telling me that the success rate, at least as he's counted it, is about 10%. Meaning about 10% of the churches he tracked last. Those are pretty, uh, pretty sobering numbers as we are a new church, right? And, uh, you know, being real this morning, as, as, uh, as a new pastor or a, as a pastor of a new church, you know, I think about that, and I wonder, you know, did, did, those, did those pastors fail God? Did those churches fail God? You know, I ask myself that same question boy, if our church doesn't make it 10 years, am I a failure? If our church doesn't get to 100 people, 200 people, 300 people, am I a failure? I mean, so often when pastors get together, it's just kind of just like, we're showing off each other's trophies, bragging what we've done. And it's easy to kind of look at the person with the biggest church, with the most people, with the most result, and think, wow, they are the successful pastor. They are the successful leader. And it's easy to look at these smaller, struggling churches and think, boy, they're not doing something right. God's not pleased with them. God's not behind what they're doing. And let me be real. I think it's, it's easy even for me as a pastor and as a leader to fall in those same traps, to fall in those same um, ways of thinking. But the thing is, the thing is, I don't think that's what God asks of us. I don't think that's what God asks of me. Like in life, I don't think, to be honest, I, I don't think we're competing against anyone except ourselves, if that makes sense. We're simply to run the race that is set before us to the best of our ability. To be the best friend, we can be the best parent, we can be the best partner, the best spouse, the best coworker we can be. You know, it's like it's like when I was in uh, I remember when I was in like I said, running cross country in high school. And I wasn't a great runner, like I said, and it was so easy for me to get out my course, to be running and to struggling, and to see someone way off ahead of me and to feel like I've gotta catch that person to be successful. And then you get past that person and think, I've gotta catch that next person to be successful. And I remember run one race in particular, I was I was slow and I was struggling and I was behind this way behind, probably 1,500 yards behind this runner. And this coach, you know, on the side of them, would cheering me on. Says, "Hey, go after, go after that guy. He's your only real competitor." <laughs> I was like, "Oh." And sure enough, I didn't, I did not catch him because I was slow and I was tired. But I was running my best. I was doing the best with what I can, was capable of. You know, I think it's so easy, again, as, as a runner, when I get to these athletic events, it's so easy to, to look and be like, I want to compete with this guy next to me and this woman next to me. And, and, and we forget about, I forget about that, you know, this guy is 20-something. He's got no kids. He's got an easy job. He can spend all week running and crushing like 50 miles. And this woman, you know, she's a stay-at-home mom who just like runs for fun an Instagram poster of workouts. But I'm not competing with this woman who's going to kill my time. I'm not competing with this 20-something dude who's going to crush me. I'm competing with myself. And that's what's, that's what's great about distance running, because I'm competing with myself to, do, to work hard, to post a good time, and just to, to try hard and finish the race. And if I make a good time, even better. You know, the race that God wants us to run it doesn't involve wealth, or status, or stuff, but it does involve loving others, showing compassion, doing right. You know, uh, it's kind of an anecdotal example, I guess, but we, we think about those folks, whether they're their own relatives or stories we've heard about, you know, people who, in their last dying moments, who do they want by their side, Right? Who do they want around their hospital bed? Who do they want with them in their home in their last moments of life? You know, they're not like, hey, bring in my big uh, bass boat. Back it up in here. They're not like stacked, you know, by piles of bills next to my bed. Right? Like, where's my kids? Where's my grandkids? Where's my great-grandkids? Where's my son? Where's my grandson? Where's my friends? Where's my family? It's faithfulness. It's faithfulness that God wants, not results. Yes, we God calls us to be faithful to what God has given us. But God calls us to be faithful, not pursue stuff. Results, numbers. God calls us to be faithful with what God has given us, to be the best parent, the best spouse, the best friend, the best coworker, the best person we can be, the best person God has called you to be. That's what God asks of us, to be faithful. That's all God wants from you. That's all God needs from you. So stay faithful. Keep running. Amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us this week. You can check back for new messages each Tuesday. If you're in the Denver area, come see us this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times as well as the mission and vision of M.G. Thornton at mgthornton.org. That's M-G-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N dot O-R-G. See you next week.